0: My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here and delighted to be able to continue the series that we're in about what is life. And we've been exploring this for many weeks now, um, trying to figure out what Jesus was really offering us in John 10.10 when he said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So what is that life exactly? What characteristics of it and how should we live it? And so we're going to continue that today by looking at a little passage from the book of James. So James is toward the back of your Bible. Get to Hebrews is a big book and then James a little book and then some other little books right after that, 1st, 2nd, 3rd Peter. So start at the back and go forward. James chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you or you can open up your phone and follow along. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and I'm going to start reading at verse 13 but before I read it I want to offer you this prayer the Lord be with you yes. James four thirteen. now listen you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city spend a year there carry on business and make money why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. God has wisely left us each in the dark concerning future events and even concerning the duration of life itself. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. For a couple of years, I lived in the north suburbs of Chicago, and one thing I hated about living there was traffic. I hated traffic jams so much that I even was disgusted by the traffic reports, which, if you've ever lived around Chicago, you know, come all the time. The Edens is backed up, Lake Cook to Montrose, 40 minutes, outbound, stop and go, 25 minutes, the Kennedy inbound, a parking lot, Expect long delays from lane closures, 50 minutes O'Hare to downtown, outbound 30, the Eisenhower stop and go from 1st to De Plains, Thorndale post office, 33 minutes, outbound to Thorndale 29, no problems on the Stevenson, Dan Ryan inbound, jammed up, outbound, expect long delays from Circle to the 18th Street interchange, downtown 95th. 22 minutes, crews clearing an accident on the tri-state, two right lanes are closed. And as soon as they start these traffic reports, I'm like, oh my gosh, life is too short for this. That's the thought I had every time I heard this. And if you've lived there, you recognize all those things. I had two thoughts. One, life is too short to sit in traffic. I had a friend, actually, when I lived there, on the, who lived on the north side and taught school in the s- south Chicago and some could spend four hours a day in traffic. Like, oh, my gosh. I, when I sit in traffic, it's like put an IV in my arm and just drain the, the life out. That's how I feel about it. The other thing is that the traffic reporters could announce these things and, like, never sh- show any expression. And I'm, like, thinking, don't these traffic reporters ever have to sit in traffic? They never got exasperated. And the other thing that really amazed me was that they could report accidents, even serious accidents, even fatalities, and they never change their tone. So some man or woman left home early in the morning to head to work, probably didn't even say goodbye to their family who was still sleeping, and gets killed on the interstate, and the traffic guy mentions it with no emotion, and it only actually gets mentioned because it created a traffic jam. Life is short. And today I want to talk about how we're supposed to live it how are we supposed to cope with this life that's short? And I'm going to suggest three ways to cope. The first one is this Cherish your days. Life is short, so cherish your days. In addition to all the other ways that the Bible talks about life, it says life is a breath, a shadow, a mist. Life is like dying grass and fading flowers. Life passes quickly. Life is frail. Life is a vapor. That's how the Bible talks about it. Listen to a couple examples. This is Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly, for my days vanish like smoke life is short. Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Life is short. I could share a dozen more verses that make the same observations, but life is short, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) The older we get, it seems like the more convinced we become of this and the less evidence I maybe need to produce about the brevity of life. Days pass more quickly. We spend more time reflecting on the good old days, days gone past, and we spend more days attending funerals. The commentator Matthew Henry said this, we can fix the hour and the minute of the sun's rising and setting tomorrow, but we cannot fix the certain time of vapor being scattered such is our life. It appears but for a little time, and then it vanishes. If life is that short, then cherish your days. Value them. Recognize their importance. There are certain things that I've experienced in my life that have helped me to cherish my days. One of those is music. I hear certain songs, and it really helps me recognize the value or importance of that and uh, I came upon a song actually while I was on vacation that actually helped me cherish my days more. And I, it struck me such a chord with me, I want you to watch this song too. So, watch this video.
1: sink. Mama's on the porch yelling supper's hot. Y'all come and get in. We yell five more minutes. You're 16, it was 12 on three, standing at her front door. And Katie's dance at midnight, but we need
0: Can you think of some times in your life when you wish you would have had five more minutes? When you wish you would have had a pause button? Could just hold on a little longer? That, I think, is an image for me of how precious life is. And this is the first step, I think, to making the most of our life. The short life we have is to cherish our days. To cherish those moments. Hold on to them. That's only part of it, though. I think the next step of it, then, is to number your days. So we cherish them, then we number them. Now, what does that mean? Listen to what the psalmist said about that, Psalm 90. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and they fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days, it seems to me, must have something to do with figuring out what matters most, what is most important, where do we get the most out of life, and then investing in that. Back to Matthew Henry, that commentator, he said this, we do not know what shall be tomorrow, we know what we intend to do, and we know what we intend to be, but a thousand things may happen to prevent us. Numbering our days says we're not going to let those things stop us. We're going to recognize what's most valuable, what's most important about our days, and we're going to appreciate that, and then we're going to pursue that, and we're not going to let anything get in the way of that. There's a Latin term that talks about this idea, and it's the phrase carpe diem. Have you heard that phrase before? I heard that first in the movie The Dead Poets Society, if you any of you saw that years ago with Robin Williams. There's one scene in particular that captures the sentiment of that idea, carpe diem. This teacher, John Keating, is trying to inspire his young teenage students to make the most out of their life, to make the most out of the the minutes they have, the days they have, to number their days. That's what he's trying to teach them. And so he recites a poem to them. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today tomorrow will be dying. And he asked these boys, what does that mean? And they're like, you, you don't know what tomorrow brings. So make the most of today. Seize the day. That's what numbering our day is all about. Our life is like a treasure to be cherished and not used only for our own purpose, for our own well-being, but also for the purpose of helping others, for being there to help make the world better for everyone else. We're making the most of our day when we get a grip on those purposes in our life that help us and help others thrive, help others find abundant life. Every day holds potential, every day holds opportunity, every day matters. We discover this when we number our days. The novelist Anne Lamott said it this way, she says, How we live our days is, of course, how we live our lives. What you do day by day by day by day becomes your life. So every day matters. There's no meaningless day. Cherish those days and number those days. The Bible offers a lot of examples, good and bad. I don't know why, but I landed on a bad example today for this. This is from Luke 12. Jesus told this parable to his disciples. He said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be taken from you. then who will get what you have stored up for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Numbering our days means recognizing what's most important, and then pursuing that. And the verse is right after this story about the foolish man building these barns gives us some of the consequences of improperly numbering our days. Therefore, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. Numbering our days has to do with recognizing that we are held in God's hands. We don't need to worry. We don't need to strive or run after these things. God provides what we need, and our proper order for our life is to seek God, to seek his kingdom, to seek his things. Properly Numbering our days means that we cherish what's most important, what's most valuable. We get that in perspective, and we live that out. Life is short, so we cherish the days we have, but we also number them so that we can make the most out of them. Third coping strategy, surrender our days. Once we've cherished our days so that we have an appropriate sense of their value... And then we've numbered our days so that we have a proper sense of their purpose. Then we surrender our days. We offer them up minute by minute, day by day to God and say, God, accomplish what you want. Accomplish your business in my life. We offer up our talents and our abilities. We say, God, use these. Accomplish your will. Build your kingdom. We offer up our resources. We say, God, use our resources to build what you want to build on earth as it is in heaven. That's surrender. We give this short, precious life that we have to God, and we trust God to do something with it. Trust that God will use our gifts and talents and abilities to accomplish His purpose. And it seems to me that surrendering our lives actually helps us to avoid two extremes. One extreme is that we go, okay, God, um, you're in charge, I'm just going to lay back and do nothing. If you want something to happen, you're going to have to make it happen. That's one extreme. The other extreme is a kind of drivenness that says, gosh, if I don't do this, it's not going to get done. I got to go. One leads to kind of just laziness, and one leads to frenzied, anxious worry. It seems like the sweet spot's probably somewhere between those two things, and we get there, by surrendering our life, surrendering our days. I see both of these extremes, the kind of extreme lazy living and the extreme worry in a family I know, the Heck family. Anybody ever watch The Middle and appreciate the the Heck family? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you about one episode. This is from season three. The Heck family actually is... Um, visiting another church, they're not happy with their current church, so they go to somebody else's church, and the pastor there is a guy named Pastor Watkins, and he stands up and his sermon starts by sharing a conversation he had that week with Brother Darnell, and Brother Darnell is dying, and so Pastor Watkins asks him, did you get your business done? And Brother Darnell on his deathbed confesses, I did not get my business done. So the pastor uses the rest of the sermon to call everyone to get their business done. And actually, I think I'm going to have Leah and the worship staff watch this episode because as soon as he starts getting into this refrain of get your business done, the choir breaks into singing it and everybody's clapping and all that. So look forward to that in coming weeks. But this sermon about getting your business done strikes a chord, especially with Frankie Heck. She says this, when she gets home it could all end tomorrow and if we did and if it did what would we say that we were getting our business done we've been sleeping through life hitting the snooze button well rise and shine soul time to throw off the covers and get out and get your business done and then she goes so what's our business and then in classic Frankie style. She drives herself nutty trying to figure out how to get her business done, trying to figure out what it is in the first place and then how to get it done. I'm going to suggest this is how we get our business done. Cherish your days. Recognize the value of every day. Every day is precious. Number your days to recognize the purpose of your life, that there's some purpose that God calls us to, and then surrender your days and say, okay, God, Uh, It's not up to me to get the business done. It's up to God, who holds this whole world and holds me in his hands. I surrender it to him. And when we surrender him, then I think we do see these kind of results. This is Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Once we understand God's calling, the business that God has set out for us to do, then we, we do it. We do a good job. We, we work hard at it. We do our best. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We set our hand to this calling that God has given us, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God to accomplish His will. Colossians three twenty three. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord. And James four fifteen the passage we just left, instead of saying, I'm going to do this or that tomorrow, we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. This changes the perspective when we surrender our life to God and say, okay, I'm going to do what you call me to do, but it's not really up to me. It's up to God. It's up to his will and his way. We don't sleep through life hitting the snooze button over and over and over again, saying, I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. But we don't drive ourselves nutty trying to say, i got to make this happen. We trust God to accomplish his purpose. And we do that by cherishing our days, numbering our days, and surrendering our days. And when we do, this kind of thing happens. This is how Paul lived his life, it seems to me. And here's how he describes the consequences or the result of that. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself faithfully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That when we cherish our days and properly number our days and then surrender our days to God, then God accomplishes His purpose in us. He uses us the way that He wants to use us. My father-in-law, Arnold, spent the last days of his short life in the hospital after um, unexpected consequences of a surgery. Didn't see this coming. And it landed him in the ICU, and he was there for quite, uh, quite a few days. And so we spent many nights sitting in the hospital with my mother-in-law, Irene. And near the end, after Arnold was no longer able to be responsive, Irene one night said, This, she said, I wish we had a little more time to tell him some things. She wanted more time to tell him some things. And Mary heard her say that, and she said, Mom, you had 53 years to say things. Well, that wasn't enough. And this is the point life is short. So cherish the days that you have and number them wisely and then surrender them to God and God will accomplish the purpose that he desires. Lord God, we come to you today and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is alive and active in this place and we thank you for the gift of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we ask that you'll continue to shape us to be more and more like him. In Jesus' name, amen.